You are listening to a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. CCEF is committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and many more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Welcome to CCF on the Go. I'm Alistair Groves, your host, a faculty member here at CCEF. And today I'm talking with Todd Stride, my fellow faculty member here at CCEF. Todd, thanks for being here. Great to be here, Alistair. Todd, as I um, as I move us into the conversation today, let me make a, a couple of comments before I ask you a question. Um, the first comment would be this. I, I think, if I, if I think about biblical counseling and the history of biblical counseling, I would say it, it started out with this fundamental insight that um, the church had to care for people's souls at a deeper level than it had been, that the church had let go too much in too many cases of a depth of, of soul care. Um, and then I, I feel like um, in-house here at, at CCEF, what I've really watched in our own history, which is the history I know best, is this sort of growing understanding that uh, there's this entire framework that, that not only does the church own soul care and that has all these implications for a worldview, but, but there's this entire model that we can draw from scripture. And it, it seems to me that the current work of biblical counseling, the one that I probably see the most um, attention being paid to uh, these days is the, the thing when I talk to other biblical counselors, I hear us most talking about both at CCEF and outside CCEF as I've been you know, especially in conversations with the Biblical Counseling Coalition, I just, I'm hearing this question of methodology getting more and more airtime, more and more focus. And, and that makes sense to me if on some level there is agreement within the Biblical Counseling movement, at least at a broad level of, hey, the, model's been, the model has been set. We understand what it means to say that we are sinners, sufferers, and saints, or embodied souls, or that there's this heart-driven change that overflows into our actions because the overflow of the heart is producing the words of the mouth. And um, so all I have to say, it just, it seems to me like there's this ever, ever necessary refining, articulating of our methodology that's really important. So with that, uh, with that little, with that little lead up, Todd, no pressure, right? The, qu- the question is this, um, please uh, articulate an entire methodology of biblical counseling in two minutes, right? No, um, no, the question, the question I have for us today is this, how do you draw methodology from scripture? And, and in particular, okay, if, if part of our model is that we want to major on what scripture majors on, how do we actually track to determine what is most important in, in scripture? How, how do we apply scripture given that scripture is vast and endlessly deep and speaks into every life, has something to say to every situation? How, how do we decide what's most relevant? What should we be drawing from scripture in any given situation? Obviously, that's a bigger topic than we're going to resolve in, in one podcast, but reflections on that? I thought it was a, I thought it was a, a valid and helpful question. Yeah, I think that is, that's an important question. It's an important topic. I, I could jump right in, but let me make a, a preliminary remark just, just to sort of orient us. As I've been thinking about the way that scripture impacts counseling, I think I would say it, it, 
it speaks to the whole process, but there's three main parts, just sort of like a three-legged stool. Scripture, it forms the counselor. We could talk about that as into the image of Christ, et cetera. We are, we are formed, shaped, we imitate. Um, so scripture forms the counselor, scripture shapes the counseling process. And that's, that's the topic we'll talk about in just a minute. And scripture offers true counsel. So all three of those are essential. All three of those are always at work for the most part. And scripture is in all of that. Scripture is counsel. We use the very words to bring hope, care, rebuke, etc. And scripture shows us who Jesus is, and we we want to be like him. So, so as we talk about that 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 second leg of the stool, scripture shapes hmm. the counseling process. Um, I just want to make it known that there's these other two variables that are already being shaped by scripture. Yeah, it's the center of a sandwich of what it means for counseling to be biblical. Uh, the process is not the entirety of it. <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but I like that. That in, that intuitively rings true. Um, how? Dive in. Go go specific. Take take that further. That idea that the process itself, not just the the formation of my own heart and what I bring to the counseling room as a counselor, and and the formation. Well, I shouldn't say formation, but as you put it, the, the offering of true counsel through all of Scripture, both in its exact words and its implications for words. Um, how, how, do you, how do you begin to think about what, what Scripture gives us in terms of shaping the counseling process? Yeah, and, and that's where I think we could say the shaping of the counseling process, another word for that is methodology. How do we, how do, we right. do things? Right. Um, uh, let me. I'll throw this statement out there, and then we can we can wrestle with it. I, I would I would go so far as to say that that scripture is that scripture cares about and offers to us a macro methodology, and is not nearly as concerned with a micro methodology. And it's probably somewhat self-explanatory, but I'll, I'll just give an example. But for, the, for those of us who are a little slower, who haven't just fully grasped every implication of what you just said, Todd, if you wouldn't mind just a word or two for that would be great. Yeah. I, so macro, I mean, things like, like a macro methodology is Philippians 2. Hmm. Look out for the interests of others. It's... First Corinthians 13, love assumes the best. It's, um, it's Galatians 6, 1. Yeah. What, what is that? Restore gently um, when someone's in sin. Yeah, confront and, um, and engage. And then you know, we, forgiveness. Uh, the list could go on. There's, there are, there are macro methodological principles that scripture is, um, 
is buttressed by and that are woven throughout all of the narratives and the prophets and the poets that that we could say is a methodology of christian being and life hmm. which and i'm realizing again this is happening on multiple levels isn't it because because you have things like galatians 6 and um Philippians 2 and, and 1 Corinthians 13, that where, where we are picking up things like love looks to the interests of others, not just to your own interests. Consider others more significant than yourselves. You also have the fact that Philippians itself is a letter from an apostle to a group of people. And so here's, here's another macro form of ministry. I'm speaking to you in the form of a letter trying to write and address a number of questions, and I'm, it's coming out of a relationship. You know, Philippians is ministry, as well as teaching us how to do ministry, and it's a very different kind of ministry than the prophets, uh, and a very different kind of ministry than the poets. What, what Psalms are doing is not the same as Galatians or Philippians, and that's not merely a matter of different content. Um, so, yep. all that to say, I, I think there's, um, yeah, there's just a lot of levels where that's operating, but I, I, I'm if I'm tracking with you, what you're saying is macro um, scripture is giving us these um, unbelievably flexible, unbelievably broad, unbelievably powerful generative categories like love your neighbor as yourself, like honor others ahead of yourselves, like love is patient, love is kind, you know, there's a, but there's a million applications of love is patient. There's a million applications even of love keeps no record of wrongs. And there might be, there might be 30 different ways that any one given person needs to resist the temptation to keep a record of wrongs in this span of a month. Um, am I, am I tracking with your macro micro distinction? Yep. Yeah, you are. And, and it leads us into well, what, what, what is the micro and, and yep. that's what that, so an example of that would be something like the, the arrangement of questions that you ask that are both open questions and closed questions mm -hmm. that you are choosing to sequence those in a counseling relationship such that you you are making it safe you are gathering information and you're making it uh you're laying out the red carpet for somebody to talk and give information. Now, does scripture, scripture is not concerned with some of these micro, these micro mechanisms or relationships between how open and closed questions properly arranged can, can open the door and make somebody feel more comfortable than if somebody's not arranging them. That is, does scripture know that that exists? Yeah, we people ask questions all the time. Jesus has questions all the time. Right. Is it concerned with with identifying and highlighting that as it as a relationship in reality that exists? No, God gives us the freedom to notice it and to use it. But it fits. What? What? Where does it fit? That micro. That micro methodological reality fits within the macro. Why would I want to arrange my questions like this? Because I care about the person in front of me more than myself. 
and I want to assume the best and I want to draw them out. Yeah. That's, that's really, I'm struck by that, Todd, just the idea that um, to track with scripture is, is to become really familiar with the macro categories of scripture um, and have that not be in contrast to memorizing a bunch of micro things or having one particular school of the micro that I follow, whether, again, some of this I think gets into questions of how much can or should biblical counselors listen to secular principles, theories, techniques, and et cetera, et cetera. But, but what you're, what you're establishing is you're saying, re regardless of how exactly you work out the micro components and regardless of how well you work them out, um, the first, the first order of business is to become intimately familiar with the with the with the macro categories of of scripture, and not just from oh well, there's the Philippians two category, and there's the First Corinthians thirteen category. But saying like these are all applications of love, you know, faith, hope, and love. Those are going to be pretty central things: love, and then service, and self sacrifice, and honoring one another. There are some major categories, and then within those, there is this enormous work of wisdom to say how do I apply this. How do I apply both honor and um, confrontation and the warning in the face of danger? You know, if, if warning is a form of confrontation, mm -hmm. how do I – honoring this person means warning them, but it means warning them in a way that they will hear. And that leads me to questions like, what is going to be fitting to the occasion? You know, if Ephesians 4.29 um, – you know, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is beneficial for building up as fits the occasion and gives grace to those who hear. What, well, what fits this occasion? Well, that requires a significant amount of insight into the person you're talking to, into the situation. How tired are they today? Uh, how did they respond last time that you guys had a challenging conversation? How well do you know them? How well did they know you? Is there a significant trust that's been established? You know, so many factors that go into evaluating what is it going to mean to love this person by honoring this person how important is it that I warn them about this thing versus how important is it that I actually speak encouragement about the place where they've really been growing over the past six months as we've walked together, you know, whether it's informal counseling or not, everything we're saying applies to the methodology of Christian life together. Um, in the specifics of a counseling room, you're often going to know lots of deep details about someone's life, but not have a significant relationship outside the room. Um, and that's that's a different context than your spouse or your sister or the person at coffee at church whom you don't know at all, but you know one thing about them that you happen to learn. And so I, I think just, I'm hearing you say, the macro has to be the place where you start understanding the priorities of scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think I hear you essentially saying uh, that there's enormous flexibility within the macro to go micro. And so it's not that scripture doesn't care about the micro, it's that scripture says, run with this. You know, Galatians 5, 6, you know, that what counts is faith working itself out through love. Uh, there's this enormous infinite flexibility. Not that there aren't wrong ways to do this, but is, am I hearing you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we could even say that analogously, um, it's when the micro skills become overvalued or salvific that that that's huh. where everything goes wrong we do we value them we should but when they're overvalued and and it's similar i think if we extract or if we put this back on sort of a, a, a biblical storyline 
there's ways in which the the law itself became the sort of the the micro hmm. the micro realities of the law became overvalued or salvific hmm. when they were never meant to be that way. Hmm. You tithe your dill, mint, and cumin, but you've missed what the law was about. That's an interesting way. I'd not thought of the law as a methodology, but you're right. That was the pastoral care of that first century Palestine context. It was following the letter of the law. And in fact, um, you, you know, so many places where the where the Pharisees had gotten themselves in trouble was making the law ever more expansive. They took an already, you know, rigorous set of stuff. You know, I don't know when you last read Leviticus in one sitting, but um, I, I'm sure it it's been at least a week or two for you, Todd, yeah. um, and uh, and you listening. It may have even been longer than that. Um, so, uh, you know, we we try to read Leviticus in one sitting each month, uh, just to to be really good biblical counselors, of course. But um, no, it, it, you know, you have the Pharisees hearing some of these laws and then saying, "Well, okay, if you're not supposed to boil a baby goat in its mother's milk." Here's how we can be sure we'll avoid that. You never boil any meat in any milk, and then you're sure to keep that law. So if you keep the external law, if you put the fence around the chasm, no one ever actually gets to the point where they fall into the canyon. Um, and again, there's a certain logic to that. But that was pastoral care, uh, was let's make the law so incredibly intricate and so incredibly um, extensive that we fenced off every danger you could ever come up against. And so if you keep the law, you're in good shape and, and, and we punish you for not keeping even these extended laws and, and you won't want to go any further or deeper into the problem. And, and uh, yeah, that's a great example of how um, I, I just, I love that. I love that way of putting it, valuing the micro over much and seeing the micro as the point getting lost in the micro rather than seeing the micro as an application of the macro and recognizing that Jesus is doing micro in every different situation. It's that micro isn't bad, um, but, but micro is meant to serve macro rather than locking in the right micro. Here's the right way, the right and only way to ask a question in a counseling session, the right and only way to confront before you comfort, the right and only way to comfort before you confront. Always ask two questions before you give a rebuke and then say something affirming. It's like, no, you know, there, there may be wisdom in a given situation in doing that. In fact, that may be a generally good idea, um, but we don't want to lock in the micro as that's what scripture is after. Um, it's, it's a it's a more flexible approach than that, mm -hmm. and so that's where that's where it's it's not the only question that that we're wrestling with as a movement, but but it's one of them, which is the danger is making is is going is going to be making micro methodology overvalued or salvific or essential to pastoral care. Yeah when it's not meant to operate that way. That's one of the dangers, but you can see that um, properly used, these micro methodological skills or mechanisms or interventions or ways of seeing people or interacting, they're extremely valuable to our task at hand. Well, we said at the beginning, Todd, that we weren't obviously going to solve all the problems, and we were wrong. We did. We solved every every possible implication of methodology in biblical counseling in, in one brief podcast. But you you are tempting me 
towards uh, another one where we talk about, okay, there's flexibility in the micro. How, how do we think about then holding each other accountable as biblical counselors? How do we think about ideas like best practices and so on and so forth? But that'll be another story for another day. Uh, for today, we're just going to rest on our, our laurels and bask in, in the good work accomplished here uh, with your macro-micro solution to, to the problems that I thought were going to take us another generation or two to work out. So, Todd, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate the conversation as always. All right, see you. There are so many things we could say about methodology, taking the conversation further. The resource I'd like to recommend to you today, and that will be free on our website uh, until the next podcast goes up, will be called um, 50 Years, How CCEF Has Grown and Seeks to Keep on Growing. It's an article from the Journal of Biblical Counseling that Ed Welch has written, and it's his uh, attempt to step back at the 50-year mark and reflect, as the title suggests, on where we've been and where we're going. But I'll just say, I, I think it's one of those rare articles that whether you're new to CCEF and you're just stepping into this whole biblical counseling world and trying to figure out what it's about or whether you've been around for years, you'll find it really thought-provoking. So I invite you to read that. It'll be where we always put resources connected to our podcasts, which is on our website next to the episode. So ccef.org slash podcast. And uh, if you have thoughts for us or questions or comments on the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. We're available on email at podcast at ccef.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time, blessings. Thank you.